and welcome to Film Festival Reviews, a place where filmmakers and film lovers stop by and listen in on what's happening in and around the film festival circuit worldwide. This is Christina Kotlar, your host, and this is Independent Film Week. It's the oldest forum in the U.S. for the discovery of new projects and development and new voices on the indie film scene, and the conference started on the 19th, going through the 24th, and it's happening at the Fashion Institute of Technology Conference Center, 7th Avenue and 28th. Today, uh, Monday the 21st, there's a 5.30 slot called Film Festivals and Emerging Technology, and uh, I plan on being there, so hope I can meet a lot of people and see what's going on according to someone else. Uh, also, the 47th New York Film Festival will kick off this week, Friday, September 25th, with Wild Grass. It's an avant-garde film that I got to see at a press pre-screening. And I followed this wild ride through what was described as the fate-altering ripples triggered by a seemingly ordinary purse snatching. French film and funny, especially when you are expecting a darker side to pop up at any given time and given the setup instead it turns into the absurd I'm definitely going to see this again because I'm recognizing all the actors you know from previous French films and I really enjoyed this one but now on a more serious subject I have a part two conversation with writer-director Kat Rower and Annalisa Rower, producer of Fatal Promises, a documentary about human trafficking and the slave trade that's going on in the world, with this film focusing on Ukraine and its surrounding countries. Um, the mother-daughter team really become the dynamic duo as they talk about making the film and what they would like people to come away with after watching it. So uh, here we go with the conversation with Kat and her mother, Annalise. Wonderful mother-daughter team, as I said. Enjoy the show. Let's uh, do a little introduction. I have Kat and Annalisa Rohr here. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, mother and daughter. Yes. So. Well, uh, we're both uh, from Austria. We're... Uh, mother-daughter filmmaker team, or it's the first time we teamed up, actually. I'm a f filmmaker who studied in the United States, New York, been living here for nine years, and we decided to team up on this project uh, because you are a journalist. That's correct, and I was interested, I wouldn't have done any Hollywood stars with you or anything <laughs> like that, but I was interested because uh, uh, human trafficking is a... Uh, Profoundly political issue, if it's anything. Uh, tell me your your thoughts, or what what through your minds when you were standing on that stage at uh, the premiere, the world premiere of Fatal Promises. It was at the School of Visual Arts Theater. What went through your mind when you're standing on that stage, mother daughter, working on this film? Um, I think the first thing that went my, through my head was like, I hope they like the film. But I think the audience reacted very well, and that was um, that gave me a lot of confidence. For me, on the front burner is to raise awareness about the issue. Obviously, I would, you know, I love it if people like my film, but I want them to get the issue and feel an urge to do something about it. So that was the first thing that came through my mind, and that's why I, you know, started talking about 
um, all the things that we are trying to do and raise money for. This the issue we're talking about here is human trafficking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, what was going through your mind? Well, it was the first. I was never on stage uh, with Kat. And the main thing was I, I had to be silent. Now, that was uh, something very unusual. I don't think that was the way at all. There were, there were people asking questions. Yeah, you but, but uh, Kat uh, is the one who did the, the film, and Kat is the one uh, that directed it. And uh, Kat is the one uh, to answer questions. It was, it was a very good experience. You know, all you try to do is uh, get your... Uh, you know, tell your children to follow their bliss and, you know, get them on their own way. And she was standing on her own two feet and I was just watching. And it was a good uh, feeling. I, I know one of the things that you did mention it was that your, your mother here, I love this idea of a mother-daughter team working on that, but, but uh, Annalise, you're a journalist and you yes. started with this. And How did this idea really get started between the two of you that where was the moment when you said we're going to do this can i answer that absolutely Kat picked up uh, the issue of human trafficking in, in the new york times and you know if something grabs you really grabs you and then we started talking about it uh, and because i am a poor have been or i am a political journalist for, for three decades and it is a very political issue, and I did have the time. So she did the film part, I could do the interview part. The really good thing, why we worked so well together, and it was a fabulous uh, experience, even if the, you know, the topic is so saddening and uh, depressing and uh, unbelievable. For, I don't know the first thing about film. So... She was my boss. I couldn't say anything, so there was no conflict there. And I was just fascinated. The more interviews we did in the Ukraine, the more interviews we did here in the U.S., the more fascinated uh, I was with the work. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, it's like you, you don't get to work with your mother every day, so um, I enjoyed it. And, I, and, and you did very well taking, you know, letting me lead. Yeah. in organizing everything and setting up the shoot because I mean being a journalist for a newspaper is so much different than filming you know if you're a journalist for a newspaper you take your pen you take your paper you walk in you do the interview you walk out as we all know with film there's a lot more that goes into it lights camera sound all that stuff so that, that, that was a little tough for you in the beginning but the more well, we did it the more you grew into it the testing thing is, uh, you know, if you're a very impatient journalist, uh, like I am, this whole effort of, of putting a movie together, it's, it's really testing because it takes so long. I'm used to, you know, do the interview, as you know, transcribe it, get it out, uh, and have it in print that very day. So there is a different timing uh, and feel about... Uh, Timing, so I had to sort of control my impatience from time to but time. But I, I think it also helped in you understanding what I'm, what I actually do oh, yeah. for a living. Well, I <laughs> honestly, I think I, you know, you I do. was interested enough before that. <laughs> right. But no, but uh, you know, I have a problem, and you say enjoying. I have a problem with uh, the word enjoyment uh, in relation to the to to the topic. I mean, even at the premiere, you know, when I was guiding people uh, 
in, I couldn't bring myself to say, enjoy the documentary. Because enjoy just, the show. Usually yeah. that's where yeah, that's everybody's what, like... Yeah, I, mean, I remember you see that them, was kind of like, odd too. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it. You see them, and normally you would say, "Enjoy the show." I couldn't. I really couldn't bring myself to saying that. So, as fascinating as the topic is, as interesting as the work is, the word enjoyment uh, I wouldn't associate because of the really, really saddening stories, and some of them. Where I mean, we had more than in the documentary. It was just so heartbreaking that I I really couldn't see any any enjoyment in that. But we did have, I mean, when we finished work, we did yeah, have we, fun. We had yeah. Right. Yeah. The statistics, especially, uh, makes this such a hard hitting documentary. How did you decide on taking it on this way? Um, I decided very early on that something, after reading all the literature that I did, that something I think in the movies that I saw that were made about this before, what was neglected was the political aspect of things. You've become experts, and I've seen that with documentaries, filmmakers. Yeah, I mean, experts, there's so many things about this issue that, that I don't know if we know everything. What I think we do know very well is the human aspect of it, because we talk to a lot of survivors. Also the political aspect. We're probably not expert when it comes to policies. That you know, we know as much as we need to know. But there are so many different policies in different countries that all are interwoven and interact. That I think we're not really experts in that. Well, I kind of would disagree oh. because uh, what what struck me over the years was uh, no matter where you go. I mean, we put uh, we pick Ukraine because Kat found out that in the European context. That was the country where you know, most victims came from in the in the European context. We didn't go to Asia, we didn't go to Africa or South America. We picked this country just as an example, but what struck me was that whatever you read, you can read about human trafficking anywhere, it's always the same basic story, and that are fatal promises of a better life, a new life, of money, even if... People are, are smuggled. I mean, if they want to be smuggled to another country, and then they end up in bondage. I mean, smuggling and trafficking are totally two different things. Smuggling, you pay, you pay somebody to bring you to another country, but then you're free. You're free to go. If they bring you to another country, take away your, your papers, passport, and make you uh, work for nothing, or... or put you into the sex slavery, uh, sex uh, industry, that, that is a whole different story. But the, the origin is always the same. Maybe except for India where there are cultural differences. But it's always the, the longing for a better life on one side, the promises on the other, and then the abuse. And the economic need to yeah. go find a yeah. job somewhere else. Yeah. It was very clear to me in the beginning that something that was missing or lacking or the, the, the biggest question that I felt was unanswered for me was why is there so such a political why, why is the political apparatus just operating so slow and why does it seem like the politicians are indifferent to the situation because it is the 21st century and it is essentially slave trade and that's something I didn't understand and I said I want an answer yeah I found the answer that I thought I was gonna get is that there is just indifference and 
and a lot of what I think is when people talk about the sex industry and male politicians will go, ah, they're just prostitutes. Who's not saying that they want this? You know, so dismissing it out of the field that they work in. So that's why it was also very important to us to introduce two men who were trafficked for labor into the film because that would make it less likely for men who watch the film to dismiss the problem. I think you really put this into context for a lot of people coming out of that film on, uh, on Tuesday when I was there. Everybody was really talking about that. But you know, the, uh, the political aspect, the lack of political will, is the same. Why, how is it possible, and this is my un unanswered question after, after four years, how is it possible that trading human beings, whether it's female, male, or, or children, is growing? It's not dis diminishing. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's profitable. Well, it's a, yeah. it's a matter of demand and supply. But you need the, the concerted political will to stop the demand. If, you, if there's no demand, there's no supply. And governments and politicians don't look at the demand side. You have to stop the demand side. But you don't win elections with, uh, by doing that. And especially in, you know, in rich countries and democracies, I mean, that's what it's all about. I would like to see the first politician who, who really you know, puts uh, the slave trade on top of his priority list and go into any election with it. It's not happening. But, that, is, but yeah. it isn't happening because the public's not demanding it. And this is, you know, this is the reason why we hope that the film will change that, that more people find out about this and start demanding it. Because I think we, us allowing this to happen in the 21st century really reflects badly on us, on the so-called Western world, democracies, the civilized world. Because it happens all around us and we're letting it happen. So when you break it down to cheap labor and sweatshops or whatever, bringing in cheap labor from Africa, I mean, the people have to start at the demand side, which means you have to stop buying things out of sweatshops. People have started doing that. You know, you take somebody that that is a, someone who has a very high profile, it helps. I've also noticed on, in certain television shows or the media, they use these topics. Do you find that a lot of it's Hollywood-written stories? Do you find these sensationalized television um, shows? Well, I mean, you know, the, the most prominent ones, there's, there was a show, uh, was it on NBC or whatever, it was called Human Trafficking with Mira Sorvino and um, Donald Sutherland. I mean, I think... It started out okay, but they made it look like it was all organized crime and it was all dangerous and there's going to be shootings and, you know, drugs and whatever. It simplifies it because it's not necessarily all organized crime, you know. A lot of it is mom and pop shops of, you know, friends recruiting friends and it's a lot smaller than that. So to say, I'm not even going to look at it because organized crime is going to get me killed is making it very simple. And then the other one is um, Taken with Liam Neeson. I was very upset at that, you know? I mean, it was a Hollywood film and it was an action film, and for that, it was okay. But, you know, these girls don't have dads that go shooting down half of Paris, so. That's the other thing is, it. of course, when I, I've seen a couple of these films too, 
and what we hope would be different with this documentary, if it's acting, if it's actors, it's sort of distance you as an audience. Okay, it's acting. I know that Donald Sutherland is not that person. You don't identify with the victims in the same way than you know, what we hope to do, show them. I mean, there is Anya, there is Katya. They are still there. They are still struggling. And they are not walking off a film set. It's their life. Right, it's not reenactment either. You didn't use any of that, uh, no. recreate a scenario or a situation. You know, it was thing. tempting because it, with this topic, it's very hard to get what you, know, you would call action scene because some of, two of our victims, we didn't show their faces because they were too afraid to be identified. So it's very difficult to show action sequence where they actually do something. If you're trying to hide their identity, if you're trying to hide the place they live, if, they're, if you're trying not to give too much away. So it was very tempting to have reenactments. But every time that question came to my mind, I was like, no, it's the, no. It changes the, t- yeah, the, the it changes tone the of tune, it. And, yeah. It makes it fake. It, you know, it's not honest to their story. What, I'm going to have an actress pretend she was raped? It's, it, no, I couldn't, I couldn't have done that. No, no I, I, I would just say, uh, try to say that it's all about identification. You, you've got to, if, you, if you're going to be touched in any way, I think is you've got to realize that these are real people. That was me. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. <laughs> but I'm sorry. So it's interesting coming, again, from, from your end because you're more literary and verbal, and here this is more visual, and now you're, you're kind of understanding where, where Kat came from. Kat, of course, you've been learning from... Yeah, all from my your, life, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, I don't have that talent with words that you do. But the other thing is, of course, uh, we had a very tense moment uh, between us because as a political journalist, I was used to uh, do very confrontational interviews. Not, I mean, the victims are a different story, but with, with NGOs and politicians... Uh, and sometimes, you know, my impatience, I mean, why the hell don't you do anything about it or get your act together? I was tempted to say, and Kat said, look, you, you know, be less confrontational. But I'm, I'm even more frustrated now when, since this is finished and, and I see that it's growing, it's growing. Uh, you know, get, as Emma Thompson said, you know, do something, need a, you know, enact a plan not just talk about it, but do something, because even as we speak, you know, there, there are women in, 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 in basements being abused this very moment. I think where you're going then with this film is absolutely the right way of doing it, rather than going to film festivals. You're going directly to the people, and the and same with Emma, with the exhibit, the installation exhibit that's coming out and having people, 14,000 people went through it in a week. From that point where you're going with this film, I'm, what I'm seeing is that it, it'll really get to the people who then have to demand the action be taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. We need to get to the people. We need to get it in the public consciousness. Yeah. And if we have to carry this film in our suitcase to every university in the country, we will. Again, you have your world premiere right. here in New York, right. which is the best place to, to do it anyway. anyway yeah. 
I mean, if, if festivals would want it, yeah, I'd still take it there because that also means, you know, festival doesn't only mean that there's only going to be industry there. There's going to be people from the area that are going to see the film and that's the people I would want to speak to because, you know, festivals make it a little easier to show your film in places that you wouldn't have probably thought of. So, yeah, I'd, I'd go to festivals. I have, no, I have no problem with that. And you're planning on showing this in Ukraine? Yes. We have to figure out how, but yes, definitely want to, yeah. I have to say, Ukraine mm -hmm. is from all the countries that we visited, and there were quite a few, is the only country I can say is really actively doing something to raise awareness within their you know, society. There are ads on TV, there's ads on the street, there's ads in newspapers, and there are warning signs everywhere. But they, there is the economic necessity for them to leave their country. I mean, I found Ukrainians to be very proud people who would love to stay where they are, but because of the economic situation and everything that's going on, they can't. So they have to look for jobs somewhere else and then have to take the risk. Yeah, but there's also the other side. You don't have enough high-profile convictions. That's true. To, I mean, it's all right. What, what did, uh, it was in the documentary, uh, the IOM man said 90% of the people in... 99. 99 in the country know about human trafficking but they think it would never happen to them, fine. But also we found that out. So far, there were no really high-profile cases against traffickers where the perpetrator has been put in prison for, I don't know, maybe just one uh, for 10 years or more. They're all on probation. And if, if the case is not reported in the, the media of the, of the country, then how, how would the public know? And in the shadow of not knowing, these traffickers do their business undisturbed. It's not only the poverty. Okay, but you cannot eradicate the poverty in, in, in five years. But you can have you know, a few really high-profile convictions of these criminals that they would be more careful or stop this kind of, of human trait, but that's lacking. The laws are not lacking, they're in place in Ukraine, very stiff laws. Yeah, very stiff laws. The awareness is not, not lacking, but the implementation of the consequences and the implementation of laws, that's where, you know, you could do a lot and that's not being done. I'll vote for you. <laughs> Come in, get the job done. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, these strong statements, strong film, and I, I applaud you. Well, thank you, yeah. Uh, congratulations for the, uh, the world premiere. Uh, I you. think it was a wonderful opening night, and I look forward to seeing it at Cinema Village and here at the Institute. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you. Okay, uh, Fatal Promises is playing now at Cinema Village in New York City until September 24th. Call the theater for showtimes. There is a special screening at the Ukrainian Institute of America on Thursday, September 24th at 8 p.m. For more information, go to www.fatalpromises.com and listen in on this podcast and others on film festival reviews 
www.filmfestivalreviews.com. I also have a blog of film reviews called Eye on Indies. It's eyeonindiefilms.blogspot.com. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>